Hello and welcome to the Rock Gods Living Funeral Podcast. We are back again and once again, friend of the show and co-host John Wardle is with us. Hi John, welcome back. Thank you Al, very nice to be back. Great to have you back for this special edition of the Rock Gods Podcast. One of the greatest bands of all time. There was really no bigger, more important band than Guns N' Roses. What I would agree with that. Yeah, what we're going to do on this podcast is we're going to do an NCAA 32-song knockout tournament of Guns N' Roses songs. Yeah, it's a really fun way to re-explore the songs, too. Uh, it's kind of a fad right now with the COVID. Everyone's doing brackets of everything. And, you know, it's fun. You, you, you get into it, and the, the head-to-head matchups are fun, and you get down to the nitty-gritty with the songs. And with a band like this, there's so many, so many good tracks. Yeah, I did not have trouble filling up the 32 slots. We had our Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 discussion, which I'm sure we'll touch on later. Having only bought one, I remember clearly making that decision. As you'll see, I think I bought it for Knocking on Heaven's Door, now that I'm remembering, because that was on Use Your Illusion 2. But the Don't Cry was on, the alternate version was on Use Your Illusion 2, which was no good. You needed the original version, but that was on 1. I don't know. They were The marketing people worked overtime on that. I didn't have a lot of money and each CD costs like $19. There's no way I was buying both. It just, it wasn't happening. I think so I only- The decision was made at, at a a Records or whatever. I was just scouring like, okay, which one, you know, where is Civil War? Where is this, uh, you know, someone mentioned something about this November Rain song. Where, which one is that on? Exactly, November Rain was a big one. I don't know, I'm, I'm looking at the track listing. Knocking on Heaven's Door was big for me. Maybe that's why I bought that may have been a single. I'll have to check the dates. The dates are very foggy on this for me. That's why I mentioned I checked a lot of dates. Yeah, there's a lot going on back then when you're 14 to 18 or whatever. It's it's pretty crazy. So we were at a great age for this, Al. This is a big one for us. You're right. One of the first bands that we could really call our own. And my God, what an exciting band. I mean, we hadn't seen anything like it. They weren't just a big band. They were dangerous. We had not, we didn't have a band like that. Like, I guess we had heard the Who and, you know, the Rolling Stones that had Altamont and they were all on drugs, but this was long, like we couldn't really relate to that and what was going on in the seventies, even the punk movie. I mean, we were too young for that. So we were fed, you know, all the eighties chart toppers that we've discussed. And then we had our hair metal, which was dangerous as we've discussed with the crew, but, but GNR was just something different. I mean, they were just on, on the edge of everything. And the lyrics and everything. I mean, I hadn't seen anything like this. Nobody had. It was so exciting. This really made me think of what my parents used to talk to me about, trying to explain the difference between the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and how they talked about the Rolling Stones in the you know early to mid-60s being dangerous, using that word dangerous. I didn't quite understand it until this band came out. And in my, uh, my half-assed internet research, Steve Earle, who, I'm, who I love, I love Steve Earle, yep. great artist, was dating their manager at the time. And he had a great line. He said, Guns N' Roses are actually what all the LA bands want you to think they are. You know what I mean? And, and you got that. There was a sincerity to how dangerous they were and what they were saying lyrically was way out of left field. I mean, it was insane. And, and you know, as good as the hair metal bands were, they were certainly not saying that stuff lyrically. And there was, you know, there was a bit of production to them. You could tell it was, it was sincere to a point, but this was something different. I mean, you can't even put your finger on it back then. 
I mean, this was just a different ball game. I remember when the glam hair metal guys would be interviewed and the question would come up saying, you know, why do you wear women's high heels and lipstick? And they all had the same response, which is girls like it. And if the guys have a problem, like, you know, we'll kick their ass. Yeah. And it was completely unbelievable Mm -hmm. coming from them. Yeah. But when Axl Rose either in an interview or inside of a lyric said, I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah. You're I scared believed of it. I believed it. I would not want to tangle with any of these guys. All those guys were frightening, but that's, that's good. I mean, that, you know, that's rock and roll for you right there, but this was like, this was it. This was the culmination of everything. And this exploded. And then the, it, it, rock and roll wasn't, isn't like this anymore. Do you know what I mean? It was like, they're the apex uh, on top of the mountain for that type of rock and roll that came from through the 70s, late 60s to, to Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And then it was, you know, grunge, as we know, and hip hop exploded. And Napster came. I mean, it's just everything just completely changed. So this was like the culmination of all that. But what a way to culminate it. Yes. All right. Let's get right into it. Get going, Al. Round one. We start with the overall number one seed right. in the tournament. I'm going to post a link on our Facebook page to this racket. The number one overall seed, Sweet Child of Mine. You're okay with that being the number one seed? Of course I am. Are you kidding? Against a song off Use Your Illusion, So Fine. You know, this is a tough matchup for So Fine. <laughs> I, I, you know, fine, though. I love the riff. It's so fine. I love the, you know, the bass line's great. Duff does the vocals and so fine. That's why I wanted this one included. Yeah. It's different. Duff wrote the song and did the vocals. Uh, maybe co-wrote it with Axel. You know, him and, and Izzy were like those figures that could write and they, they sang a couple tunes and they, you know, it was really interesting what they were bringing to the band. Um, and the piano, I mean, this was the Use Your Illusion. This was the big, the big GNR band, right? We had the original appetite and that was sleeker this was a huge production yeah so there's a piano on this track there's different percussion you know it's produced differently i love the piano though i like this song for the big band version of of gnr that we saw and i guess that's why when they toured for this i guess dizzy joined the band at that point and they needed a touring piano player and the solo is great on this axel kind of helps with the vocals you know that i guess they gave him one track to sing but that Axel couldn't actually let go of all the vocal duties just because Absolutely. he's Axel Rose. So he's also going to sing on this track, whether you're like it or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds great. I mean, he comes in and harmonizes. It's a different sound. I read the book Watch You Bleed, I think, off of your recommendation. Biography of Guns N' Roses, to me, it wasn't as memorable as The Dirt. It had a more traditional structure. But uh, it, was, it was an interesting book. But I really thought Duff's story was the most interesting and he sort of reminded me of Mick Mars for what Mick Mars was for Motley Crue because Duff seemed older. I think he, like in age-wise, he's a little bit older. Yeah, I think he's in the middle, to be honest. Oh, I think yeah. he's like, I think Axel or was a couple years older than him. But but you're right, he's more mature. I think he just had more experience, especially like he came up through the punk scene and he just brought, same as Mick Mars did for Motley Crue, he just he was a little bit more tenured, a little bit more seasoned, and maybe a little bit more knowledgeable musically. And uh, he brought a lot to the band, and he brought a lot to this song. 
Agree with that. And he was the only, when Appetite was hitting, he was actually married. And I'm not sure if he's still married to that woman, but he was the only one who was married in the band. You're right. He had come up through. It, it's He says he's played in 31 different bands before Guns N' Roses. He moved from Seattle to Los Angeles. He definitely has that, like you say, season or tenured feel to him. He, and that's what he brings, right? I would agree with that. And so, yeah, absolutely. I love the guy. He wrote a song and sings it. It's a great song, you know? Yeah, and I get the same feeling uh, with the vocals. It's like, Axel, you know, we didn't really need you <laughs> on this track. You know, you could have just stayed in the engineering booth. Yeah, 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 right. But he did that with uh, Izzy songs too. Like he, of course, that's that's a that's a running theme. Axel's like singing. He's the singer of that band. Yes. All right, and you're lucky you're getting one song. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, but that's, you know, that tension it was ever-present in this band. I mean, they're constantly infighting, or so it seems, like from that book and from articles I've read. I mean, they're just walking the tightrope all the time. And Izzy left the band, like, there you go. I mean, they, he was his closest friend, Axel's yeah. closest friend. So there was just constant tension. Axel Axel's was an insane person, so. But it brought, brought some drama to it. You couldn't take your eyes off them. No. So as good as So Fine is... Yeah, it had a bit of a tough matchup there. It's sort of cannon fodder for Sweet Child of Mine. This song, when it came out, was just mind-blowing. The melody, the lyrics were different than anything we heard in a hard rock song. It was sort of like a power ballad without the ballad. There's a sincerity to Axel's singing, and just his voice alone is very powerful. And of course, the, the, the riff and everything, I mean, it's turned into an iconic riff. And it kind of introduced you to, you know, the intro and the outro. I mean, this is what Guns N' Roses is all about, if you ask yeah. me. The awesome intro and the the awesome outros that they did. And of course, I mean, Slash is solo on this song, Al. I'm putting it as the number two guitar solo of all time. It's it's definitely worthy of that. that that's another podcast probably, but it's, it's, it's Jimmy yeah. Page, Stairway to Heaven for me, Jimmy Page. Yeah. And then this is number two for me. I cannot think of a greater guitar solo ever just how it fits with the song and everything yeah and how it feeds off the the uh the intro the uh the riff it just matches up with the the feeling of the song like it's this honest genuine you know songwriting matched up with honest genuine guitar playing I, i don't know how else to explain it it's melodic i mean that's what i love about slash's solos how they fit in the melody and how melodic they are and of course, the, the whole first part of the solo is like that. It just adds so much to the song. And then I'm telling you, man, I think in the video, Axel takes off his jacket or something, right? When the Slash is about to rip. I mean, the, when, when Slash starts ripping in the solo, it's like a rock and roll history. Axel removes his jacket, I think, and starts swinging around even the microphone. And then Slash does something that I don't think I had heard before. And this is after Van Halen. And, the, the solo, I mean, my my mouth was agape. I, I couldn't believe how he was ripping at the end of the solo. Oh, my God. And then it goes into the outro. It's magic, man. I'm telling you, I, it doesn't get any better than this. Like, Yeah. I mean, that buildup, if your pulse rate doesn't rise a little bit, then you don't like rock and roll music. No, I mean, that is the, makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up, as they yeah. say. You know, it's funny. I was in Vancouver uh, 
for a couple of weeks that summer, 88, when the song broke and the video had come out. And I remember very clearly being in the, the bay in downtown Vancouver and they have TVs for sale, I guess, and they're playing much music on the TVs. Here comes the video, uh, this video. And I stopped to watch it. And then there were about eight people watching it. I believe it. Everybody, eight people stopped and we watched the entire video at the bay housing section or whatever. Whoa. Like people were just mesmerized by this. Just the entire presentation of Axel with his tattoos and his look. He's got the bandana. I mean, this just introduced you to this band. It was like nothing anyone had ever seen. And then the guitar playing and I, oh my God. Ow. Okay, you, you, you mentioned Axel's tattoos. It was before tattoos were ubiquitous like they are now, right? I mean, this was actually still a little bit dangerous if you're covered in tattoos. Now everybody has tattoos. I mean, you can't relate to that. But back then it was like, whoa, like you're either a biker or like, I don't know, like, you know. But I'd never seen tattoos like this, which weren't just sort of old school, you know, eagles and American flags. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Sure. (laughs) This the the level of of creativity and interest sparked by his tattoos for me were was just off the charts. The uh, the cross, which became the the cover for Appetite. There was the woman I think was based on Aaron Everly. But to me, the biggest one that had the, the biggest impact was the 32nd Armored Regiment, Victory or Death. That's hardcore. The, the insignia? Yeah. I'd never seen anything like this. I thought that was the coolest thing yeah. I'd ever seen. No doubt. They definitely, I mean, his whole style that was presented was like, what the... Look at this guy. Not to mention, that's where we get introduced to Slash and his freaking hat. Are you kidding me? It was just, just this Frankenstein monster. It was unbelievable. Slash, with his hair completely covering his face and his hat, and all his rings on his fingers, completely rips the solo like you've never heard. It's yeah. Like, what the hell is going on here? Really, that's, that's the impact that that had. And that song went directly to number one after they released it. Number one hit single. Unbelievable, man. I also learned that it was kind of just a screw, a throwaway, uh, screwing around, like warming up his fingers, that intro slash it's something he did just to warm up and mess around with. And they started jamming on that intro riff and it just turned, turned into sweet child of mine. It's unbelievable. So yeah, sweet child of mine takes it, moves on to round two. Absolutely. All right. The next matchup I think is going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. It is. It's arranged. Use your illusion two against Night Train, Appetite. This was the hardest matchup of round one for myself. I don't know about you, Al. I think we're gonna we might tangle about this one, John. This one was really hard. I'm, I'm throwing this one to you, Al. I know you're a big fan of Estranged. I am. I, I am not that big of a fan of Estranged. It it to me it sort of blended in a little bit with the other big epic Use Your Illusion two songs. Uh, yes it didn't quite make itself known to me as much as it did you i think to me i'm going with night train this Mm -hmm. to me is just an amazing song about drinking (laughs) you know it's one of the top drinking songs of all time and really for that reason i'm going with night train but i'm i'm i just want to hear you struggle in real time with this oh night train even the riff and everything Oh my, and the lyrics, like the lyrics are, that whole Appetite album, the lyrics are 
like nothing we've ever heard. What what they're describing is so crazy to me. Yeah, Night Train is one of those songs. And I've, that's yeah. And he and you and again, he's so sincere with this. You buy it. You buy that every step of the way. Every night, this guy gets blackout drunk, and does God knows what. You don't even want to know what he's doing. But he does wake up late and tells his girlfriend to put on her clothes and take her credit card to the liquor store. I mean, that that line, opening second verse two, take your credit card to the liquor store. What? Oh my God! They just got up, and you know it's like three o'clock, three thirty in the afternoon, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, we're out of booze." It's like the you know. sun is streaming in through the drapes. and So, I mean, the picture paints is at once disturbing and gross and at another time completely exhilarating. And the, uh, the guitar playing and the riff is awesome. But, Al, you're right. Uh, Use Your Illusion 2, see, again, if you're joining us late, Al bought Use Your Illusion 1 with his 20 bucks, and I bought Use Your Illusion 2. And Estranged was not released as a single for four years or something like that. So it was kind of just an album track. And when I first heard that on my copy of Use Your Illusion 2, I was like, what? <laughs> I couldn't believe what I'd heard. For me, Al, I feel very strongly about it. You're right. Because the last part where they kind of combine two songs, like they've done it numerous times. And yes. I, as you'll see through this, I, I love those, those tracks. It's almost like a separate song at the end. Yeah, I wish they had done more of that on Use Your Illusion 1, especially. I mean, the second part, the second song, if you will, of Estranged, I think it's one of the best things that Axel has ever done. I just, I love it. You know, lyrically, what he goes through there, you know, that's something I just connected with. I still connect with that for some reason. You I know think what I mean? for me, like the, by the time a strange sort of bubbled up into my consciousness, I, yeah. I was exhausted. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I was, I was exhausted with these six minute, seven minute songs. Yeah. I, I, I just couldn't do one more. Yeah, I know. And the video to say it was over the top kind of misses the point. I mean, in my half-assed internet research again, it's the fifth most expensive music video of all time. <laughs> Five million dollar budget then. So adjusted, it's close to a nine million dollar 2020 money budget for that video of Estranged. They spent 10 million bucks on the video. Oh my God. <laughs> and the video is crazy. Like, he's, is he with the dolphins? Like, it's it's insane. He's like on my aircraft carrier or something. I think Duff saves him with a with a freaking helicopter or something at one point. <laughs> He's drowning, Axel's drowning. But think of all the scenes that were cut out of the video. Oh they probably God. spent $3 million on stuff that we never even saw. Slash comes in on a, on a moving sidewalk in a, in a mock-up of the Sunset Strip on a soundstage for part of the solo. With burn and, 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 and here he comes moving in. Oh my God, Al, what a video. Yeah, I'm very difficult for me, but I did pick a strange for the last part. I love the lyrics of that, and I love the performance and everything. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to stand in in the way here, because <laughs> I I know I know how you feel about estranged, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna put estranged in through to the second round. All right, next up, don't cry against hair of the dog, spaghetti incident track. How many hours did I spend in the used CD store with the spaghetti incident in my hand? <laughs> that was an easily found used CD. Now that you're saying that? There very... was about nine copies of them. And I I had it in my hand every time I went in there. And I was like, is, is this worth my $8? <laughs> and... I'm, I wager to say that you put it back every time. I put it back every time. <laughs> and I hear you. I never purchased that either. I never purchased the spaghetti incident. No. Because you, you, know, they, had, 
they were broken up pretty much, right? It was like it was like they were fulfilling their contract with that or something. There was a weird taste in everyone's mouth about that. Album. Yeah, it just it wasn't part of the canon of no, Guns and Roses. Not at all. Absolutely not. No. And, and Hair of the Dog, I mean, they, they do a good job on it. But to me, it's like, if Axel never made it out of Indiana, this would have been his karaoke song, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an excellent way to put it. Axel just liked the lyrics because he, he pictures himself a real son of a bitch, you know? He just wants to say that. But I did find some uh, sales numbers on this album. It actually went platinum in the U.S. And it went three times platinum in Canada. That goes to show you what was going on with GNR. Basically, it's all covers, is it not? Or It's all covers. It's some punk covers. It's some, you know, sort of glam metal covers. They did the one song that didn't make the cut, If I Don't Have You. Remember that? They had a video for that. I'm just remembering that now. It was like a 40s song. It was like a, a crooner song. Oh, yes. If I don't have Oh, my God. That's, that's the last thing you want to listen to right now, my accent impression. <laughs> I got more of it to come, but. Yours yep. is actually not bad. Don't don't sell yourself short. Yeah. <laughs> now that you met, I haven't thought of that in 25 years, but thank you for. Same. Same. I just remembered it right now. But yeah, that spaghetti incident that was a bit of a debacle, right? It was all coming apart. That was it. They were done. And it's going up against "Don't Cry." Again, very tough. And the video of "Don't Cry" was over the top, but still awesome. I mean, it was actually quite over the top. But that I song. I don't care. That was freaking awesome. When I was listening to this again, the build-up, it's a total slow burn. And then yeah. by the time you get to Slash's guitar solo to the end of the song, it's just like, you're, it's just bliss. You know, you're just carried away by that. I and love this song and I love this video beyond belief. And Shannon Hoon. Oh, yeah, yeah. On the, on the rooftop. Oh, my God. Yeah, they had toured together or whatever. The intensity, when you see Axel and Shannon just screaming into their microphones on that rooftop, it's so powerful. Yeah, they had a connection there with that, for sure. It was it was a palpable uh, energy that they were bringing, and it was just exciting. That video, they really knocked it out of the park. I mean, it's ridiculous, but it's so... I'll never forget the car crash when Axel is drunk, like he's drunk driving or whatever. Goes over the cliff. She's dead, of course, and the car explodes, and then it pans back up, and he's shirtless doing a solo at the top you're like yeah he's still alive <laughs> i just watched it again yesterday and sure. it's crazy she's screaming in his face slapping at slash and he's just laughing <laughs> he's like i'll show you and they drive off the cliff <laughs> she's very where she sees the cliff coming and he's laughing about it yeah she knows she's gonna die there and he knows he's not gonna die <laughs> He's in the band, you know, yeah. he's the lead guitarist. I'll never forget the pan, the pan back up to the top. And there he is doing his solo with his shirt tied around his waist. And remember they're in the bar too. They're all updating models or whatever. This is where Stephanie Seymour comes over mm -hmm. and, you know, Axel is playing piano with this other girl and she just right. slaps the hell out of her. Right, right. And they're laughing about it. Remember? Everyone's at the bar, same bar, and they're all looking over and laughing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the storyline. What's going on at the end of the video? Like he's in the winter time or whatever. Remember, he's, he's like got a, he's got a an old style pistol in one hand and a bottle of alcohol in the other. He's wearing like a some kind of cape. And then he then he's like sort of on a on a gurney or an examination table. The hands. What's going on with the hands? And he's all he's in the pit. He's all kind of green and that. Oh my god, this video is insane. 
as a side fact, I have tried many, many times in my life to hold the last notes, whether it be at karaoke or just on my own. I've never quite made it. it it's still a goal of mine, I have to say, to do it at karaoke and hold the last note of the song. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do it. <laughs> I, I can barely get through a podcast without my voice, you know, cacking out. I can't do uh, the don't cry I think it's multi-track, but he held the note and they just added many different tracks of him doing it. And yeah, I'm assuming uh, he could do that. I mean, he had a, a fantastic voice when he could, not that he ever sang properly and like famously blew out his voice many, many times. But yeah. I actually saw them on the couple of years ago on the tour in Buffalo, which is a whole other podcast, that whole story. But uh, his voice sounded great. I was like in shock. He takes a lot of breaks though. I think he's learned. He disappears from stage and like Duff did a song and Slash does his whole Godfather theme and does a solo. So he takes a lot of breaks. I have no doubt he's taking oxygen during this time because he's running around like crazy. And his voice sounds great. I'm promoting Don't Cry into the second Absolutely. round. Yeah, without a doubt. It doesn't get any easier. I know. These are hard, man. Rocket Queen against uh, Get in the Ring. Uh, the airing of grievances. Oh. <laughs> is that part of Festivus or was this Axel's Festivus song? This is this would be on a Festivus album if there ever was one. When has, has anyone ever heard anything like that? My my God. The all-time greatest burn ever <laughs> put to vinyl. Bob Guccione Jr. You're pissed off because your dad got more pussy yeah. than you. I know, and the. Again, and I haven't mentioned this yet, just the amount of, of swearing that GNR does throughout their entire library. I mean, I've never heard, nobody heard anything like that. Listen, some of these songs that, that especially come off uh, Appetite, I'm putting through to the next round simply because of the swearing. Oh, yeah. I mean, you never heard anything like that. It was, it was like, whoa, what? You can do that? Like, this song's on the radar. Like, this is a big band? Wow. But get in the ring. Oh, my God. You just... He lets it rip there in the middle. Like nobody's ever heard anything like that. The opening's cool too with the band, with the crowd, you know, and and then the the tone of Slash's guitar is awesome. His famous tone comes in with the riff. This and... was one of my uh, favorite songs off you use your illusion too when it you know, when I eventually did get it. Oh yeah. This one really stood out. Uh, out of the ones that, that you weren't hearing on the radio or yeah. didn't have a big video this this and i think it had a lot to do with the anger and the swearing and the fact that i'd never heard anything like this naming names because he could get away with all that crap back then that's a bit you know that's he was pushing the boundaries and they just let him do whatever the hell he wanted to he'd probably get sued in court today if he wasn't sued for that song maybe he was i don't know the lyrics you know are a little straight to the point of times as i remember i don't like you i just hate you i'm gonna kick your ass that is a lyric from that song. <laughs> And I, I don't want to fight. Imagine fighting Axel Rose. He's completely unhinged. He might like kill you. He might strangle you or something. Like this guy's nuts. Yeah, and he's probably carrying a knife on him. Oh, yeah. Like this one guy you don't want to mess with. Get in the ring. No, I'm not gonna get in the ring. This is for the fans who stuck with us through all the fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> you had to pick a side, right? Well, we were on the GNR side. That felt good. It felt like, really good. Flash, this is awesome. Of course we're on your side, my man. <laughs> when you have Rocket Queen, when when any song in the world is going up against Rocket Queen, it's going to be a street fight. I know. And and listen, I'm I'm going with Rocket Queen, you know, in a pretty big way in this matchup. 
But I did want to give the get in the ring its props. But, uh, but, I, I, but Rocket Queen, I mean, you know, one of the standouts on Appetite, one of the standouts in their whole career. I'm sorry, is there a better moment in rock and roll when they break it down? Arguably, you could argue any moment in rock and roll when they start bum, 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 and the kick drums just kicking. You know what's coming. You're like, oh my God, it's happening. Oh my God. You know, listening to it the first couple times, I'm like, this is like three songs in one. Yeah, because the start's cool. The bass line and everything. Oh, Oh, you're like, oh, this is a good riff. I mean, I was more used to the ACDC. You got a good riff and you carry it through guitar solo and then an ending. You know, I had no experience really with this sort of gothic approach to heavy metal. Yeah. And it was more than heavy metal. Yeah. It's something else building on all that stuff and taking it somewhere else. I mean, obviously they're hugely influenced by Aerosmith with the the riffs and everything and just their attitude. But Aerosmith songs didn't do this either. They had their great riff and, you know, back in the saddle. And then that was that. It didn't go bum, bum, bum. And like all hell broke loose. All right. So by acclamation, we're going with Rocket Queen. It's going through to the second round. You know, that song might contend. I'm telling you, John, that song might contend for number one. I definitely hear that. That is that's the real deal right there. All right. Let's go ahead with round five. November Rain against Reckless Life from our it's our first song from Live Like a Suicide. Uzi Suicide Records. Yes. I mean, versus the bombast of the November Rain. You couldn't really get two songs that are further apart. This is true. Moments in their career that are further apart. No, no, that, that is absolutely true. They weren't they were just starting out with the Reckless Life. I mean, it hadn't even got started yet. Great track. You know, that's I, I love all the songs on Live Like a Suicide, just the excitement. But you know what I found out? This might not be news to many of our listeners or to you, but I had no idea that that crowd noise was phony. It was, you know, it was from Texas Jam. There's a huge jam, like festival show in Texas called Texas Jam. That's yeah. where they took the crowd noise. So it was like 60,000 people. They thought it was funny because they had only played club gigs. They're like, if we're going to put crowd noise on it, let's get it from a huge stadium show, you know? Which is what the crowd was just from. <laughs> it's weird. I, I had no idea. And I mean, I didn't think they were playing in front of 60,000 people, but I thought when I was listening to it at that age, I thought they're playing in front of like three or 5,000 people like at, at a gig like that. Showcase gig or something. Yeah. That crowd noise had an impact on me because I was like, Hey, you know what? This band has been popular for a long time. Like, I better get on this. Like, where I've been asleep on this. Long history of playing awesome club shows or whatever. Like, yeah. thousand seats, a thousand seat club or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. I think they had those songs ready to go and they had been playing some good shows, but I think the record label said it's too expensive. Like, they weren't going to spend the money to get a remote crew. So, like, record those songs and we'll type in some music, some, uh, sorry, some crowd noise because it's way cheaper. But they knew they had to get something out from this band because they were like, everyone was trying to sign them and then they were like, everyone was excited about Guns N' Roses. I think that's how that was born. And it went over that in the biography. It's been a few years since I read that album. I didn't no, know. But yeah. Live, you know what? I don't think I heard Live Like a Suicide before I got Lies. No, I don't think there was any way. How would how were we supposed to tap into that without buying Lies? It, but I don't know if they released it to 
you know, Thorncliffe, uh, Sam the Record Man or whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, if anyone in Toronto was going to be tapped into that, it wasn't going to be us. No, true. It would have been like a, one of those cassettes that went around or out on. Exactly. But yeah, so all of a sudden Lies came out with this concert. With this old concert. I was like, what? I have to admit, I did concentrate more on the other side of Lies. But we'll get to that. But I remember distinctly going downtown and buying this album. And when I was coming back on the subway, I was cradling this album in my hands like it was nitroglycerin. Oh, yeah. I felt that I, I was transporting plutonium. It was so dangerous to have this album. Yeah, 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 true. It was. And they were just like riding a huge wave right then. I mean, it was just all happening. I mean, Lies just was huge. I was looking this up in Canada. Like, it wasn't a huge chart topper or anything. It wasn't their hugest selling because Appetite was still going, I think, and selling more. But yes. for us, Lies was just a game changer. You know, on a previous podcast, when we were talking about Motley Crue, I mentioned that when I got that tape, Shout of the Devil. And I, and I played it and, you know, my mother was driving me home and yeah. I was expecting her to, to really come down on me for listening to this type of music. And it didn't have that impact at all. She liked it actually. But I knew that if she knew that I was listening to some of these songs on Lies. Oh my God. She yeah. would have really objected to yeah. that. It was dangerous. Yeah. And that. that was the dangerous part of, of it all. And and that's part of rock and roll is that you, you listen to things that your parents would not approve of. That's part of rock and roll. You're right. I mean, it's just part of the package. It's for the kids. They always said they were playing for the kids. Guns N' Roses said that in interviews early on. You know, that's who they were playing for. And that's what it's all about. And it definitely had that feel. And, you know, Reckless Life is a good early song. Like It, it hinted at what Appetite was going to be. Axel sounds great. He does. For me, it's hinting at what he's going to be. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's getting there. Yeah. But, you but. Know, that's a... That's a... <laughs> it's, it's a tough matchup. That's... It's going up against November Rain. What yeah. an enormous song this was in every way. It was something he wrote years ago and he wanted to get perfect. You know, I remember we had seen that live when they were touring and they hadn't released Use Your Illusion yet and they played November Rain. We're like, what the hell is that? And then, of course, the accompanying video and everything. And I mean, it was iconic at the time. Everything about it was just epic. It really and was. it was unapologetic in its epicness. Yeah, with the strings and everything. Usually I don't like strings. I'm not all for when the bands decide on the strings. I'm like, uh-oh. You yep. know what I mean? It really works in November Rain. It never intrudes. I love the strings in November Rain. I can't imagine the song without yeah. the, or the orchestration. Yeah. And obviously the lyrics are great. And the vocal performance is awesome. And great, you know, great guitar solo too. And, you know, and, and they love how they feature Slash out in the video in front of that little church. Church great, in the desert. Great yeah. solo. And the, they're shooting from a chopper and all the whole choppers kicking up all the sand. and everything. Oh my God. Great solo though. Oh, the outro as we've, as we've discussed. They pushed all the chips into the middle of the table, this outro. You know, yeah, that was... And let's was... talk about Axel as a piano player, too. Yep. He wrote that on piano. He played piano on it. He played it in concert, too. I remember that. He started playing piano in concert. We're like, what the... Yeah, sounds great. Yeah, no, he could He could write for piano. He could. He was a good player. 
It was his baby. He wrote this, and this is the one he wanted to get perfect. He said in interviews during the appetite time. If he didn't get the song perfect, then he would never release it type of thing. Striving for absolute perfection, you know, killed him in the end with Chinese democracy. It's killed a lot of, it's gotten a lot of people, right? It's almost like you can't have this type of library if you're not like that on some level, a control perfectionist. It goes with the, the territory in a lot of ways, you know, and that's why their output is what it is. But it also is what tears them apart, I guess. He had a lot of issues. It's, I mean, it's not an easy existence. No. And the stories of his life before, I mean, he's basically a juvenile delinquent. He was basically arrested 30 or 40 times as a juvenile. He's insane. You know what I mean? He was in jail. And... I mean, it's hard to diagnose someone. That's borderline personality disorder if I've ever seen it. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he was diagnosed as a manic depressive, I think, when he was younger and just a real mess. But obviously something really, you know, special going on with them as well. But yeah, November Rain, I love it. I'm, I'm pushing it through to the second round. I think that's uh, a responsible choice. <laughs> All right, round six, Mr. Brownstone and your crazy The Lies version. Yeah, now this was a very difficult one for me as well. It really was. This one is really tough. Yeah, because that version on Lies of You're Crazy is basically, it's perfect. Like, I don't know what more you want from the GNR in an acoustic song. There's swagger, the vocal performance is awesome, the guitar, the music, the like the guitar playing's awesome. The swearing. Oh, the swearing I, is fun. That, My God. Ten out of ten for you're yes. fucking crazy. He he's a he's a top five swearer. <laughs> <laughs> Historically, a top five swearer of all time. Absolutely. Like De Niro's pretty good. Like, I don't know, you make a list, like some people, it's just not gratuitous. It's just what has to be said. Yep. Do you know what I mean? He's one of those. To me, it's not gratuitous, that song. All the swearing. No, it needed it. I knew a motherfucker like you. Okay, I get it. I mean, how else are you supposed to put that? You know what um, I was thinking with You're Crazy, you've got the slow version on Lies, you've got the fast version on Appetite. And I'm just thinking about being in another L.A. hard rock band at this time. You must have been saying to yourself, like, holy fuck, how are we supposed to compete with this? They've got an amazing song. Fast, it's amazing. Slow, am I in the wrong business here? Like, should I just take the bus home? Oh, absolutely. And you should, yes. If you're in Poison, yeah, it's time to go and work another job. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Time Sorry. just to, I, if I heard this slow down version, I would just, like, hang it up. Oh, that is just the swagger on that tune and the performances by the whole band is just out of sight. Love it. That's why it's really like, it, it's probably the hardest, at least one of the two hardest matchups. Well, let's talk about Mr. Brownstone. Well, I mean, oh my God. For me, the start, like the little bit before the riff comes in is so awesome. It's hinting at what's going to happen. You know what I mean? It's and that goes on for like probably 20 seconds tops yeah and then izzy does like the slide on it's like uh oh what's gonna the, when the riff hits oh my god listen when i when i got appetite for destruction there was welcome to the jungle and sweet child but this and my michelle were the two other songs that just blew me away mr brownstone it's... i couldn't get enough of this song no, Mr. Brownstone, the preamble, like I was saying, and then when the riff hits, that's perfection right there. It doesn't get any better than that. 
when the riff hits and the whole band is all, I mean, it's like they're collecting themselves. And then when the riff hits, the whole band is just hitting together. It's like, whoa. I like Axel's voice too. And he's kind of doing that little bit different voice. Yeah. I guess I got up, our arms out. I'm like, what is that? What? <laughs> Who told him to sing like that? That is so awesome. I mean, the first verse, he just, it's like a little aside from him before you get back to the riff. I love it. I used to get up around that mountain. I don't worry about nothing, no, because we're to waste of my time. And then they say, why don't we say the riff again right there? It's like, oh my God. That whole part, I mean, it's, it's perfect. What do you yeah. want? He's a, that old man's a real motherfucker, Alf. I came into this not knowing who I was going to vote for here. That's a, this is a really hard, really hard one. I mean, one thing pushes over the edge for me, maybe, and it's the word yowza. <laughs> I'm sorry. Who, like, Axl Rose, where, how is, how is this man born, like, in the rock and roll? Like, who says yowza? It's perfect. Listen, I was going to break down this entire podcast to Axl's ending of songs. Yowza is like... It doesn't get much better than the outside. And then burning ling. It was like, what? Thank you so much. Like the attitude in that and the balls to do a song like this. What's better, Yaza or take that one to heart? <laughs> yeah, and he's still doing it. Use your illusion. He's like, well, that one sucked. <laughs> yeah, Yaza. You know what? I went Mr. Brownstone here. Like, this is where I was leaning to. It's so hard, but it's Mr. Brownstone, for God's sake. I'll what go. Is- I'll go with Mr. Brownstone because I'm just remembering back to those early days of listening to Appetite and just how that song it really stood up for me. It's an awesome riff, and then it's kind of like a, the solo is kind of messy, right? It's like a, I don't know if he's using the, uh, the you know the wah wah pedal, if he's using the top box, or what's going on there. I think it's wah wah pedal, and then he cleans up the guitar and it's a. I mean this wow. And then Steven Adler breaks it down. And then the riff comes back. It's like, oh my God. Oh, it's Mr. Brownstone, for God's sake. All right. Mr. Brownstone is through. Knocking on Heaven's Door against Perfect Crime. On the surface, definitely it seems like Knocking on Heaven's Door is just going to waltz right into the second round. But, you know, if any Guns N' Roses song could be a hidden gem, this one is it. Use Your Illusion 1. First of all, what I like about it is it's blessedly short. Mm. It's less than three minutes long mm. on these two albums where, you know, you're being bombarded with six minute songs, eight minute songs. Big time. And this is just a banger. Great guitar, great swearing again. You know, if there's people out there who, like me, like many of us, just got buried under this avalanche of both Use Your Illusion albums, like, Mm -hmm. go back and listen to this track because it may have been buried for you, but uncover it and listen to it again because it is a banger. Yeah, I I actually had no knowledge of the song, Al, prior to this bracket because of my aforementioned not purchasing Use Your Illusion 1. (laughs) But I mean, it really is a rip rip of a track. And they slow it down a little bit in the middle. I love that part. Mellow middle, this good solo. And it's just solid. Axel's really insistent that it's, he very forcefully insists that it's a perfect crime too. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Like, he, he scared me in the middle. All right, it's perfect. Axel, I get it, I get it, it's perfect. No, it's, I mean, the riff is great. It's a ripper, man. 
it's it's in tough company here. It's going up against Knocking on Heaven's Door, one of the standout just signature songs from Use Your Illusion 2. And in this, as I did my internet research again, and this, I was able to put closure on something with this that really haunted me for many years. There was a version of Knocking on Heaven's Door that came out in 1990. And that was a big hit. Like it was pre-Use Your Illusions, but they released it with the Days of Thunder soundtrack. Uh-huh. The epitome of a mediocre film, Days of Thunder, starring Tom Cruise and Carrie Elwes. I saw it in the theater. Me too. Dumb, dumb film. But this was on the soundtrack. And in the second verse, in that version, there's like a call and response. The lyrics are like when he says whatever he's saying, there's a response to it. Axel's saying there's another vocal track, which isn't on the Use Your Illusion version. Mm. And that confused and haunted me for many years. <laughs> As I tried to talk to people about it, remember the other one? Nobody seemed to remember that. I'm like, what? You know, the part where in the second verse and he's saying, you know, like it wasn't their fault. Like there's another vocal track. They're like, no, what are you talking about? I thought I was going crazy, Al. That's the lost version of Knocking on Heaven's Door from the Days of Thunder soundtrack, 1990. This doesn't mean I'm going to have to watch Days of Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Nicole Kidman, Tom Cruise. I mean, there's, is the soundtrack on Spotify at least? Like, I don't have to pull up the VCR. Know, for that version. I got to hear it. I mean, when it was released, I was like, oh. It was on, like, I think Q107. Did they do a top 10 of 10, right? You remember that? Of course. I would listen to top 10 of 10, as we all did, and, like, number one. Bling, bling, bling. I was like, oh, we were in someone's car or something. Crank it. I mean, like. Oh, and hey, 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 yeah, I just made it their own. It's such an awesome cover. It was the same as November Rain in that it was so epic, so over the top, but it doesn't, to me, it doesn't sound bloated. No, no, it's awesome. It's got like the ultimate power chords. Just when they come in. Yeah. Oh. I, love, I love the tone too, the kind of cleanish tone of the when it really starts, when he's just strumming and then the guitars hit. And Axel's, are you kidding me? It's an iconic vocal performance. Yeah. It's both both versions of Axel on the chorus. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven. It's that version. And then he rips the, nah, nah, he does both. How does he do this? Unbelievable vocals. Hey, 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 yeah. That's knocking on heaven's door now. I don't care what Bob Dylan has to say about it. This is the definitive knocking on heaven's door. Oh, yeah. Just like all along the watchtowers, Hendrix. This is it. Sorry, Bobby. Yeah, Bobby hasn't played it since. I don't think he's played it in concert. For... What's he gonna do? I mean, he can't. He forget. It. He just doesn't. Do, he doesn't play it anymore. There's no point. No. <laughs> this is the song that you know. I somehow scraped my next nineteen dollars together. I said, "That's it. I gotta somehow go out and get Use Your Illusion too now because you know I need to have this." It speaks to summer nights for me. I don't know why. It's it's a nostalgic. There's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in this bracket, but this one really speaks to me on those hot summer nights when you're like 16 or 17, you know? 1990 was when it was released for that soundtrack, 17. You just turned 17, boiling hot outside, really great memories. That being said, Al, I know you love your perfect crime. Yeah, but I've, I've given it the props it deserves, and now we'll move ahead with Knocking on Heaven's Door. Yeah, thanks for that. I, I've never heard those Use Your Illusion 1 tracks. I don't think I ever bought it. I don't think I ever went back and bought it. I just have User Illusion 2 on cassette or whatever. So I should give it a listen. All right, next one. My Michelle, Think About You. Is that in sequence off Appetite? I don't remember. Not sure. 
It might be. Think, Think about you for for me personally yeah. was maybe the most forgettable song from Appetite for Destruction. It, it to me it, it never made it into the echelon with pretty much all the other songs. Yeah, yeah. I still liked it, as I'm sure you did. But no, of course, I liked it. But no, I agree. To me, the best part of and the most excited I got during Think About You was the end because I knew Sweet Child was about to start. <laughs> you know what I mean? When he breaks it out, only the very end. I'm like, I was already like licking my chops for the riff and Sweet Child at that point. I was like, mm, here we go. Next song. I, I remember the sequencing very well. That's basically, I was sitting and enjoying Think About You, but already thinking about Sweet Child of Mine. Right. So, you know what I mean? And, you know, who could blame you? Who could yeah. blame you? And my Michelle is, wow, dark, so dark. My Michelle might be my favorite song from Appetite for Destruction. Oh, yeah, the intro is so cool. I actually, I came up with this idea a few years ago, and I want to, you know, run it past you. You know how they do these Broadway shows where they'll, you know, like, I guess Mamma Mia was, like, the most famous, where they'll yeah. build a musical around, you know, an artist catalog? Jagged Little Pill is not coming to Broadway before oh, yeah? COVID. Yeah. You know, you could do one with Guns N' Roses, but it would have to be based on the life of Michelle Young. Al, I don't know if anybody can sit through that and like, that's about as depressing as you get, isn't it? My Michelle or what? I love this song. The lyrics are some of his most outrageous, most okay. unbelievable. You know, it's a famous story. He wanted to write a song for Michelle Young, the, you know, uh, Slash's friend and a friend of the band. And yeah. famous story, he wanted to write a song for her and he wrote some ballad and sort of glossed over her life and who, who she actually was. And then he, he couldn't follow through with it. And then he went back and wrote My Michelle and he, he was nervous to play it for her. And she actually liked the song. Like she was totally fine with it and she, she loved the song and she liked the honesty. The first stanza, it, it's right, all right, right. about what was actually going on in her life. Yeah, it's a pretty nasty track. The intro is iconic to me, though, as I was saying. Just the picking part there and that slow before it kicks in is so cool. And yeah, the lyrics are spot on. It's a rocker, too, how it ends. Oh, my God. Really a riff-based song. Oh, yeah. I love that. The mini outro and then the ending is, just, when it's over, you're in shock almost. It's yeah. just like you slammed into a wall when it's over. They just end it. Clearly advances over Think About You, which is a great song, but I don't think there's any th true throwaway songs on Appetite, but if there was, it would probably be Think About You. Next up, Welcome to the Jungle against Pretty Tied Up. Yes, another very difficult matchup there for Pretty Tied Up, anyway. <laughs> hey, I like this song. I like Pretty Tied Up. It's a bad draw for Pretty Tied Up. Yes. It's it's more cannon fodder. Yeah. It's like Sweet Child and So Fine all over again at the top. Like total iconic song. Welcome. Oh my God. Bring. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> One of the most iconic rock and roll songs of all time. It truly is. Great solo, yeah. Great though. It's like a journey. The whole song is like peaks and valleys. Yeah. They really crafted like again. Like, like you were saying before, it's like you had your riff and the chorus, and that's what you're used to. Not with Welcome to the Jungle again. The song's like a like a journey. He breaks it down in the middle, and then at the end, 
I know how intense it is that from reenacting that video more than once, <laughs> trying to shake in the chair like he did and, you know, almost injuring myself. The <laughs> end is <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> oh. And he, the, what he does with his guitar, it's like crying at the end. Yes, you know where you are? You're in the jungle, baby. You're gonna die. Oh my God, Al. There's a, a concert of theirs from the Ritz on YouTube oh, yeah. from like 1988. I think they did it for MTV. The version of Welcome to the Jungle from that show. Yeah. It's so, I mean, the whole thing is dirty and sleazy oh, and awesome sweaty. I love that Ritz show. I love it. It's the perfect way to watch and right. listen to Welcome to the Jungle. Oh, it's unbelievable. They, oh, that whole that whole show is great. Welcome to the Jungle video is great. He gets off the bus at the start and everything. He gets off the bus and he, he's actually like chewing on a piece of grass. Hey, seed. It's from and India. Like, is this the same piece of grass that he picked up in Lafayette, Indiana? <laughs> Probably. Or did, or did he bring like a handful of grass shoots? John Mellencamp gave him that grass before he left. <laughs> it's now up to you. Take the ceremonial grass shoot. All right, round 10. Used to love her on mm -hmm. rise against out to get me. What do you got there, Al? Tough one. Well, I'm I'm going with out to get me. I love that song. Again, the swearing in this song is just top notch. In this matchup, for sure, you know, out to get me is the favorite. You know what I mean? If it wasn't a different one, maybe not, but absolutely. I, I, I like out to get me here, too. There was a lot of controversy around Used to Love Her. It was, you know, it's what? a misogynistic song. Yeah, there was a lot of controversy. Remember they tried to say it was a, about a dog? I think they're trying to, like, field that a little bit. And... Yeah, they, they were did all sorts of things to deflect that. It was a lot of, like, it's a joke. It's not about a dog. Come on, Slash. <laughs> it's about Axel's dog, he said in an interview. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, that's the time they're pushing the boundaries. I mean, they're doing whatever the hell they wanted. Axel was the leading of the group, and he was doing whatever the hell he wanted to do. But a great song musically. Yep. Sort of that mid-tempo acoustic. Yep. I mean, that was the time. It, it did show their range, though. It, it's a great. He, he plays the acoustic really, really well in that. The solo's awesome. I mean, that, those acoustic songs are solid. I mean, there's not many bands in their position that would have, at that day and age, who would have put out acoustic songs. You can't hide with the acoustic. I mean, you got to play the instrument. Great solo in that song. You know, a lot of bands that sort of explode, you know, the record company always wants to put that quick release out. Oh, same, yeah. same as Lies. Yeah. But how many of those quick releases can match up with Lies? I mean, the acoustic songs are absolutely top notch. They are. And, you know, right on, on the zeitgeist, I mean, that those were the big songs. They're like, oh, it's almost like they're like, oh, yeah. I see these are the big songs now, you know, uh, Every Rose Has Its Thorn was number one or whatever the hell. You got all those songs are like, all right, this is this is how we do those. Okay. I mean. Yeah, you can do that too. Yeah, that's, that's the best set of acoustic rock songs we've heard ever. So, yeah, we get it, you know. Okay, so we're going to promote Out to Get Me, but right on the heels of uh talking about the acoustic songs on lies uh the next round starts off with the biggest patience oh my god against uh, 14 years use your illusion yeah again that that's izzy's song another song i like 14 years great track 
it's, it's interesting for me just to hear the other guys sing, you know, and, and they presenting their songs. The piano is great in that too, 14 years. I mean, it's a great track. And I love, I liked Izzy's solo album when he came out, like Shuffle It All. And those are good, that's a good song. Like, so I liked Izzy as a songwriter. And it was cool that they did that. But, you know, I mean, Patience was like a, again, that's, that's the one. It's like, oh, really? Like the record company want like an acoustic-y type of, okay. The number one top of the mountain best acoustic rock ballad. What's better than Patience? Nothing. And his vocal performance and everything again. The outro, here we go with another awesome outro. Once Axel stands up and gets off that stool, it, it's all over. You know that. <laughs> That's when he's swinging the mic around again. He's like, oh, here we go. Yeah, this is, this is a great power ballad that you don't have to be embarrassed about liking. You know, it's the song that all the guys liked, all the girls liked. And mm -hmm. it's one of the songs like everyone could have a drunken sing-along and actually know the lyrics, though. Oh, yeah. It never devolved into the, you know, yeah, something, something, something. No, everyone knew all the lyrics. Oh, wow. Done it many times on the sing-alongs on acoustic. I love it. It's so much fun even now to break that out. Yeah. If everybody's having a good time. Yeah, or around a campfire. Just anything. Oh, yeah. But you're right about that. The, everybody loved it. The guys loved that song, too. And it wasn't like, oh, I kind of like that song. It was like everybody just loved that song. Yeah. It wasn't a guilty pleasure. It was just a straight ahead, great ballad. If I were to play my 13 year old son, oh son, we really loved this acoustic song. And one was patience and the other one was more than words. It'd be like, <laughs> dad, what's with this song more than words? <laughs> oh, well, we really loved it back then, son. Uh, yeah, I guess you had to be there. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't really translate that well now, but. It was really good back then, but not with patience. My God, I mean, that cuts through the generations. I mean, that's just a great song. And I listen, you know, 14 years again, like I like the song and Izzy is great. And he is like such a key part of the songwriting team. Like he's sort of like the George Harrison. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Of Guns and Roses, like a, one of the backbones of the whole sound. He was uh, got a credit on more than half of their biggest songs. Oh, absolutely. He was integral to the songwriting. Like they were saying when I was reading about Sweet Child that he came up with that riff and then Duff and Slash were playing around with it. And Izzy came up with the chords. Like Slash always had the intro riff and the band started screwing around with it. All the chords came from Izzy. He started thinking about the chord changes and, and they wrote the song. How many bones did they throw George Harrison? I mean, imagine if they threw George Harrison more bones. You do a whole six hour podcast about what if George Harrison got more of the reins of the Beatles, you know what I mean? And then you see All Things Must Pass comes out. Oh, that's what would have happened. It's an app masterpiece of all time. And probably not to that same degree, of course. George Harrison's one of the best songwriters who ever lived. He just happened to be with Lennon and McCartney. But Izzy was writing all the songs. He's probably like, you are like giving me a hard time about me singing one song off a double album release? Are you kidding me? Like, forget it. And he came up with a solo album. Why not? I mean, this guy's writing songs, right? Yeah, and I totally understand why he would leave that craziness. I mean, just can't imagine trying to survive under the weight of not just the pressures coming down on the band, but the pressures within the band with someone like Axl Rose. He went off the deep end. Honestly, like, I have to believe the guy's got borderline personality disorder. I mean, he was acting like that all the time, but it's just the fame, I guess, just like he was sending some shaman out to look at the vibes of the state. This is why they never started. 
And they were costing so much money because they blew curfew in every single concert because Axel, the vibes weren't right, according to the shaman that he traveled with. And he couldn't start the show. What, how do you even address this? It's like, dude, you know how much we're gonna have to pay overtime for blowing this curfew every night? It's like, they lost so much money because he wasn't ready. <laughs> well, they, you know, the money, the money was not an issue. No. Appetite, 28 million albums sold. But yeah, man, patience all the way, my friend. Yeah, it's going through to the second round. Okay, next couple of songs here. Live wow. and Let Die and You're Crazy. The Appetite. The fast version, version the Appetite version yeah. of You're Crazy. You Live and Let Die fan, right, Al? I okay. always liked that song growing up from yeah. uh, Paul McCartney. So, you know, yeah. I was already halfway home. And they did a they did a pretty good version of it. They did. And the reason why I really liked it, to tell you the God's honest truth, is because in the video, Axel's wearing the old American League catcher's body protector oh, yeah. gear. Yeah. And the catcher's and the mask. Or whatever, right? yeah. <laughs> and once I saw that, I was like, yeah, I'm down for this. His costume changes were like crazy at that point. He probably made as many, as many as Madonna or anybody else. He's coming out in different outfits all the time. I said, I, I, I can't help it. I love this guy. He's insane. He's oh, probably yeah. going to drive my favorite band off a cliff, but this guy's awesome. I don't care. It's great vocal performance, without a doubt. And the breakdown's awesome in the middle. What does it matter to you? They do a great job. I mean, in all their covers, it's a good one. Yep. They have some great covers. But I like it, and I and I do like your crazy on appetite, but um, you know I prefer the slow version of your crazy if I had to choose. Yeah, and again, if that was not up against such a tough like your crazy, the slow version would have would have advanced on almost any other matchup. Yeah, you know what I mean. It would advance against the fast version of your crazy. Let's yes. Put it like that. Yeah. So, All right, yeah. John. What are your thoughts? Because uh, I could see you going either way here. I I went your crazy. I'll have to say. After it's all said, you know what? It's listen. I'm I'm not surprised by that, and I'm and I'm, you know, I, I I'm okay with that. Yeah, I I prefer it. You know what? I'm not a huge Paul McCartney and Wings fan either. This is probably part of it. Well, that's the core issue. You got to like the song first. I think that's the core issue for me. It was it wasn't even my favorite Wings song, and frankly, I'm not a huge Wings fan well, to begin with. There we so, go. If they did Band on the Run, maybe I would like it better. <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm okay with putting your crazy through. Right on. The next matchup is Paradise City. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that one. You know that song? Against Nice Boys off Live Like a Suicide. Right. The, the Live Like a Suicide comes back. Yeah, I like this song. I like Nice Boys. It, yeah. Again, it, it speaks to the fact that these guys were the real deal. Yes. It's technically a cover of an earlier song from Hollywood Rose, one of the bands that some of them were in. It's got, it's got, you can tell, like, it's got that feeling to it, right? I mean, yeah. It's just a grunt, it's just a dirty rock song, you know? But, uh, again, a tough matchup for, I mean, Paradise City hints at Use Your Illusions a little bit, right? It's that big. It's almost that big. But, again, outro. Talk about the outros. This is Bane's king of the outros. Who does outros better than GNR? Like, I remember, like, again, shaking my head to the guitar playing in the outro. I was like, what is happening? In this song, every time you think that they've hit the limit, they yeah. just take it to the next level and oh. then the next level. And by the end, it's just banging. Oh, 
all hell breaks loose in that outro. I hope everything's nailed down because you have no idea what's, what's about to happen. Oh my God. Ah, after that's done? Oh my God. There's like 15 of those, it feels like. Take him home. Oh my God, that's, what a track. The videos at Castle Donington or whatever, remember all that? It's so cool. His his fully white leather outfit. Yes, that's right. That was awesome. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> With his bandana, yeah. There are some of these big GNR songs that are on the radio a lot. Knocking on Heaven's Door and Civil War. Like, they're on the radio a lot still. And I don't always, I can't always listen to the whole thing. Yeah. Paradise City, in 25 years, I've never turned it off halfway through. Yeah, no, no, because you know what's gonna come. You gotta get, you gotta get that part. The payoff's about to happen. Oh, when that first was out, oh wow, that was like just Nirvana for me. I mean, that's rock and roll Nirvana right there. I remember listening to this song, and GNR has a. I have a few of these moments with GNR, and I remember being at a party, and I put on Paradise City, and I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't know if if like you can't get any better than this. Yeah. I'm at a party with a bunch of friends and I've got this particular song on. Yeah. It doesn't get any better. It really doesn't. That's an eight, nine minute, whatever, but oh my God, the journey. The song makes me incredibly happy. Let's just put it that way. Something comes to mind I have to share now. It's not about Paradise City. It's about Rocket Queen. And we're at a party and literally when it starts kicking, dunk, dunk, you know, it starts breaking down. Uh, I think people were on chairs. Like it was about to happen. An unnamed person, I will not out this person, turned that off at that point and replaced it with Strokin. Is that the song? Strokin. Yes. Then Strokin came on. <laughs> I was scared for everyone's safety. I was like, you don't know what the mistake, you don't understand what you just did. You turned off Rocket Queen right when I was about to kick and you put on Strokin. Oh my God. Can you imagine? A That's crime. Like a capital, crime. capital crime. Oh my God. I don't even know. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, it's like that. Like that's what Rocket Queen was too when you had the party and it was kicking up and then you're like, I'm going to put on Rocket Queen right now. And guess what? I'll see you tomorrow morning. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Same with Paradise City. Ooh, the intro, the, the guitars, like different tone too on the from his traditional really full slinky guitar tone it's different it sounds great and the bass drum oh boom, bah, boom, bah. oh it's like a it's an anthem where the grass is green and the girls are pretty <laughs> i think it i think it won eh? i think yeah, it uh, with extreme prejudice <laughs> all right next one it's so easy against mama kim there's another good cover Another good live like a suicide, right? Kind of yep. tip of the hat to Aerosmith. Yeah, they and were big fans of Aerosmith. And especially that era, the pre-cleanup era of Aerosmith. It's a great choice for them to cover at that point. I mean, that's a great, great choice for them to cover and a great song. I just remember the lyric, living out your fantasy, sleeping late, and sucking me. <laughs> Is that what he changed it to? Yeah. Oh, my God. Of course he did. And... I'm listening to that, you know, at a young age. I'm like, what? These guys are the shit. Yeah, they're. Like, oh my, I don't know if I'm ready for this, but I'm listening. 
No, this is dangerous. Again, it's like, whoa. Yeah, it had that to it for sure. And I like, I love, I love the Aerosmith song. I love, I love that that era of Aerosmith too. And it's funny because Appetite, I was reading, got kind of lost in the shuffle when it came out and Permanent Vacation was out at that time. And it kind of drowned it along with like U2 and Hysteria by Def Leppard was out. And it took them a year for Appetite to kind of catch, which you can't imagine nowadays. But it was out for a year before Sweet Child came out. I don't know who made this decision, but It's So Easy was the lead single. <laughs> what? I love It's So Easy. No, I mean, but the lyrical content, that is your first single off your, this is our band, this is Guns N' Roses. And the management said, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. Like, <laughs> It's So Easy it was the lead single. It didn't catch on. Odd, odd that, eh? I love It's So Easy. I love yeah. this song. It's, uh -oh. I From mean, the sleaze factor alone. Oh. oh my God. You can't measure that. That's not measurable. Like your instruments break. The sleaze instruments break when you go to It's So Easy. <laughs> like, oh my God, this is off the charts. I've never seen anything like this. It, my instruments it, broke. Perfect 10 on the yeah. on the sleaze Richter scale. On the Geiger counter? <laughs> off the charts. But the intro, I mean, this is the intro. This is usually what they started a concert with. It's still what they started with when I saw them a couple of years ago. Bang, ding, 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 The bass line, oh my God. The concert's starting, yep. Bang, ding, 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 ding. I see your sister in a... Is that a demon? Who is, who is speaking at that time? <laughs> I see your sister in a Sunday dress. That, that's, that's the devil. I'm like, uh-oh, the devil's here. <laughs> Oh my God, what a song. How can, who, what executive says, oh yeah, I hear the lead single. I think it's, it's so easy. Like, no wonder it, it was a huge thud. We had Sweet Child of Mine there. Are you guys crazy? Anyway, and the band probably, as they've said, they didn't think much of Sweet Child of Mine. Like they didn't think it was a, it wasn't, certainly wasn't a lead single and it wasn't even really a big song for them as far as they were concerned. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure they wanted it so easy to be the lead single. I'm just surprised anyone agreed to it, you know? And then Welcome to the Jungle came out, did a lot better. So I don't know how Welcome to the Jungle wasn't the first single, but it was not. It's so easy. It's a great song. All right, we're going to promote It's So Easy. Absolutely. All right, next up, another epic, epic song, Civil War. Oh my God, yeah, the epitome of epic. Up against Right Next Door to Hell. Yeah. It's a, a little little banger. Yeah, it is. It's, you're right, it's the difference between uh, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, right? Um, nice little banger there. Yeah, this actually, you're right. This this matchup really does show really what Use Your Illusion was all about. You've got the You Could Be Mine, Right Next Door to Hell bangers. Yeah. And then you've got the epic Civil Wars, November yeah. Rain type. So this is a really, this is a good matchup, but Civil War, oh my God. Epic. What we've got here is... Failure to communicate. It was from like Kool-Aid Luke or something, right? It's dialogue from that movie. Yes. Like, you have no idea what train you're getting onto at the start. You have a little inkling, but you really actually don't know. It's like Space Mountain or something that's about to happen to you. you know? <laughs> oh, and the vocals. Wow. My hands are tied? That is hits like a, oh my God. How does he do it? And the whole band comes in at that point? It's crazy. What's so civil about war anyway? I've like, I've like, spent much of the last 25 years, you know, thinking about that. You make a fine point, Axel. What's so civil about war and the spoken? What does he even say in there, like in the middle? And then we fill that vacuum. 
Well, and then they create a vacuum, and then we fill that. It's like he's he. It's like he's talking about society or whatever. Oh my god! It was some kind of call to arms. I don't need a civil war. Feeds the rich while it buries the poor. Ain't that fresh? Oh my god! It doesn't get any better than that. Ain't that fresh? I love I love the civil war and live. If you want to talk about costume changes, every time I think every time he said my hands are tied, it was in another costume, or like another outfit. My hands. He just came back from backstage again. <laughs> But just another epic song, and it's it worked. It never became like completely bloated. Yeah, I mean, whatever. What's so civil about war anyway? It worked. Yeah. I never like scoffed at that. What's like a lot of people did. Oh, I thought it was super. You don't cool. get it if you're scoffing at that. You're missing the point somehow. You know what I mean? Because it's it's perfect. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but it makes me a big GNR fan. I think that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. If nothing else. <laughs> No, great song. Oh, my God. For sure. That's got to advance. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that's going ahead with Extreme Prejudice. Yeah. Okay, the final matchup wow. of round one. We made it. Oh, my God. You could be mine against Anything Goes. And this one I went back and forth on. I got to tell you. This is another tough matchup. Because Anything Goes is great, musically. I mean, the lyrics are crazy. I love it. But, you know, he's got the little talk box solo in there, too. It sounds so awesome. And the riff, the beginning's great. They both build a lot, like, you know what I mean? I went back and forth. I love the start of You Could Be Mine, that it builds the way it does too, right? Yep. It's kind of like the newer, bigger band of GNR doing the build. I mean, the production's different, but it's uh, the building is great. What may have tipped it over for me, again, is a bit of nostalgia on how much I love Terminator 2 as well. And that was kind of, before Terminator 2 came out, they released this song and it was on the soundtrack or whatever. And I was like, whoa, and Terminator 2 blew me away. That was a big deal. Remember with the effects? Everyone was like, holy, what the hell? Really an exciting movie to come out. We were right into it. We were at a perfect age for this all to be happening. You know, and then the visual effects of, I remember we, uh, we must've been together. I'm, I'm sure we were. Oh, we had to be. I remember too, we were lining up and the, some of the kids from uh, Degrassi were in line with a snake. The tall guy was there, and Joey Jeremiah was there, and we were talking to them. I went with You Could Be Mine for the exact same reason. Nothing more than just a moment in time, doing some chores on my front yard. Yeah. And I had my Walkman on. It was onto the radio, and it was June of 1991. So school was ending, thank God. Yep. Summer was, like, just around the corner. And it was like, here's the new single. Guns N' Roses has a new album coming out soon. Yeah, and and here's the single, and it's from Terminator 2, which was opening the next week. Yeah, it was, like, very exciting. Like, it was just captured the zeitgeist of just youthful exuberance and just excitement. It was just the perfect moment in time. And that's why I'm going with You Could Be Mine. It's a great song. I mean, I, I, I still like the song. Maybe this is a good way to end up our first round of discussion, because I can't separate Guns N' Roses from... The feelings that I felt at the time mm -hmm. and the nostalgic feeling that I feel about it now. It's just inseparable. I'm not apologizing for it. And that moment when I first heard that song, You Could Be Mine, that was just, life is good. Okay, thank you so much for joining us for Rock God's Living Funeral Podcast, GNR Knockout Song Tournament Part 1. John and I will be back with Part 2 taking it all the way to the championship GNR song. 
if you want to follow along with the tournament, I've posted a link to the bracket. So check out the Rock Gods Living Funeral Podcast Facebook page. Until next time, we'll see you later.